Alright, so we are here today to talk about a few things relating to theater and science for World Theater Day this year. Um, so I figured we'd start by just introducing ourselves, talking about kind of our backgrounds and what led us to science-focused theater. So if you would like to start. Sure. Um, my name is Kimberly Jones-Clark, and I am the Artistic Director with Carpenter Science Theater Company here at the Science Museum of Virginia. It was actually by chance. Um, my husband and I and my two kids moved back from California. We were born and raised here in Richmond. I auditioned for one of the very first shows that I did when I came back was Genius in the Attic about Alexander Graham Bell with Larry Gard, who was the former artistic director here for CSTC, and I got the part and very excited about it. So that's how I grew to know him and a lot of the people that he works with, and did the show, loved it, found it fascinating, I got to play several different characters. Then of course we went our separate ways, I went back to doing whatever I was doing. Um, I think I may have been nannying at that point. But then another show came up two years later, and this one was about Darwin. And so I auditioned again and got that part and did that show. And so working with Larry several times, we got to know each other. Um, he grew to understand my experience, what I could bring hopefully to science theater, which I didn't realize yet at the time. But he continued to bring me in as a contract actor for storytelling, um, different types of science topics, of course, throughout the years. Then the part-time assistant position opened up to be his assistant. And so I applied and thankfully got that and worked several years with him part-time. And then when he retired, I applied for his position and eventually got into it. And so it really was just, I happened to fall into it, thank goodness. Yeah, it's been a great experience. Well, my name is Hunter Mass. I also work at the Science Museum of Virginia with Kim. And um, while at the museum, I work on a part-time basis, mainly in guest services, also doing some content creation. Um, but I got into theater itself in high school, went to college for theater, um, focused on technical theater. Wasn't really until even after college where I started really getting more and more interested in science theater and kind of like him it kind of was just an accidental progression i think back it's funny i was thinking earlier in college i actually took a playwriting class and one of the plays we were supposed to write was about dinosaurs oh, no. and so uh <laughs> i wrote the play it was a horrible play but the aspect of like researching actual mm -hmm. scientific fact and incorporating it into the play was fun i loved it we also did at christopher newport university where i went to college i think it, i don't remember if it was my senior year or the year after i graduated while i was still in the area um but they did photograph 51 right uh science play and they had done science plays before as well legacy of light um Something Sky. Oh, that sounds familiar. The play I was thinking about at the time was A Silent Sky by Lauren Gunderson. Uh, oh. oh my gosh. 
but it, it'll come back to us. But yeah, and didn't your instructor back. put together, or the director of your theater program, put together the whole list of science plays? There was, yes. Um, Dr. Denise Gilman mm -hmm. at Christopher Newport University also was very interested in science theater. She actually taught a class, Science on the Stage, which I regretfully did not take at right. the time. Um, but she started a project um, with several students of cataloging science plays. That's it. Um, creating a whole list. I think it's literally scienceplays.org, something. It's still, the list is accessible. Yeah, it's wonderful. But after college, progressively getting more and more interested in the combination between STEM, science communication, and theater, and then coming to work at the Science Museum, mm -hmm. seeing what Carpenter Science Theater is doing, pursuing my own interests, um, especially when it comes to psychology and theater. It's kind of just stumbling blocks um, that yep. progressively get more and more interesting. Absolutely. And you, you mentioned the whole thing about when you were doing your research and learning more and more about science. And that's something I find uh, one of the major benefits of this job is, I mean, I was okay in science in high school. I understood it. It was okay. I didn't get great grades, especially in chemistry, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> but um, it just wasn't really a huge interest of mine. But now that is part of my job whenever we come up with a science topic for which I need to write a script, as you know, research this, research that. I'm learning so much and I don't want to stop. It's, it's a continuing education and it, I find it fascinating. And of course, it's ever changing as science is, you know. So. Oh, yeah, there's so, so many things you can learn about, so much to learn about the things you want to learn about. Exactly, and then it's it just... changes, and they say, whoops, no, we tried it again, and now we understand. It's like, oh, oh yeah. okay, got and it. New yeah. information yeah. here, another concept there, Absolutely, and so it's really, what a cool field, too. Oh, gosh, I have to research it, what a bummer. I mean, you know, and you get paid <laughs> for it. How cool is that? Yeah. It's, it's really interesting, yeah. Yeah, so that's a little bit about us, mm -hmm. but Today, we're focusing on kind of the big ticket question, should scientists take acting classes? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Which, there's a lot to say about it. And so, <laughs> from scientists themselves to science communicators, there's a lot of different ways that acting as a concept, as kind of a skill set mm -hmm. um, can amplify what people are trying to do. Absolutely. And I, I do think in some situations, especially if you are in an education environment, whether it be museums, libraries, schools, what, what have you, if you are conveying scientific concepts to the public or to anyone, I think it would be beneficial if you haven't had um, acting training to take an acting course here and there or even for the company to provide it for you um, and especially improvisation simply because you want to be able to captivate your audience and grab them so that you can interpret the information and that they understand it um, you want to get them excited about it and especially in children the more excited they are the more they learn the more they choose to learn, the more they want to be interested in it. Um, it's, it's very important to be able to open yourself up as a scientist or educator or what have you. Again, when you're giving the information to people, you want them to be able to appreciate it, enjoy the delivery of it so that they hold on to the actual facts and um, learn something through that. And that, there have been so many studies how using theater to teach science is, is, is 
truly beneficial and that students walk away remembering more, they do better on their exams. I mean, it's, it's out there. There's so much information about what a good thing it is. Now, when you're talking about a scientist, obviously it takes a lot of time, knowledge, work, education, intelligence to become a scientist. Um, and if they are not in a position where they have to present information, yeah, no big deal. I mean, take an acting class for their own personal reasons if they want to, but it's certainly not necessary. Um, but I do find that people dealing with public, and especially in those when you have to give demonstrations, presentations, any sort of performance, um, it certainly helps to become more animated in a controlled manner, you know, to grab the audience, absolutely. Somebody once told me that they felt that you can teach an actor about science, but you can't teach a scientist how to act. It's saying two different things, obviously. Teaching something or someone about something is very different than teaching them how to do something. So mm -hmm. first of all, sure, you can teach anybody about any topic, especially if they need it simply for some information to write a script and memorize it. I mean, that's pretty straightforward, it's basic, so sure. Most actors can learn about a topic enough to be able to create a script, especially a short one, right? But to learn how to do science or how to investigate science or, or, or come up with your own theories and your um, concepts and, and how, to, how to provide evidence for theory to suggest that yes, it is correct, obviously a scientist has to go through all that work and all that education to get that. However, on the other side, you also have people that are scientists or educators that give programs or presentations and they're very extroverted. They're very animated already. So they have an easier time of grabbing the people and having fun with them. And then you have the ones who are more introverted, which is understandable, we all have those moments. So I think an acting class or improvisation would show them tricks or exercises before they do these presentations to loosen up be more open to reading the audience, be more open to engaging them, and also gauging them and how they're reacting, are they getting the information, open you up more to having fun with them. So yeah, it would be very beneficial to provide acting of some sort or the other to just loosen your chops there a little bit, so yeah. Actually, I wanna piggyback on mm -hmm. a comment you made yeah. about extroversion yeah. kind of helping communicators. And I think there's, that's a good point, okay. is some people are naturally just more extroverted versus yeah. introverted. Mm -hmm. And especially if you interact with the public, if you try to teach especially scientific topics, mm -hmm. being extroverted already gives you an advantage. Absolutely. But just because you're extroverted doesn't mean you're effective. And so being able to learn different techniques to help captivate an audience, mm -hmm. communicate a message, get audiences to empathize with mm -hmm. the story you're telling, the point you're trying to make, that adds another skill set that you can utilize. Yeah, and totally for those agree. that are introverted, mm -hmm. it can help open up the shell. Mm -hmm. um, use those skills to communicate something that might not come as naturally for them. That You know, I'm so glad you brought that up because you're absolutely right. And it makes me want to also backtrack a little bit and say, you know, the whole theatrical thing about there being the fourth wall that a lot of actors talk about, that they can be an introvert 
in social situations. But if they're up on stage and they're a character and they put that fourth imaginary fourth wall in front of them and sometimes the lights are bright enough where you can't see your audience members, uh, it's a totally different ball game. I think, I'm showing my age here, but Steve Martin, the comedian, I've heard stories about him just being crazy on set. But if you were to meet him in person, he's very shy, very quiet. Um, so yeah, and then again, going to the extrovert, just because you have the energy and the animation, if you don't learn how to focus it, and like you said, use it effectively, it's not gonna do any good. And a lot of that comes not just from training, but also experience, my goodness. Um, and goodness knows I learned a lot doing those first two shows, but especially the storytellings when you are, I guess you could call it more the street theater style, where you are right smack there in front of the people, talking to them, and you're going off of their reactions. Um, sometimes it was extremely difficult, other times it was rewarding, um, but wow, what a great experience. And it continues to be. I learned something, not just with science, but with theater, every single time I get in front of people and try to do a performance or anything, it's amazing. There's a big difference between like structured theater mm -hmm. when it comes to plays. Mm -hmm. You have your cast, you have your audience, the cast performs, the audience watches, or you have your structured scientific lectures. You have your presenter, you have your audience, the lecture presents, the audience listens. Exactly. But especially when you're talking about this very interactive kind of one-on-one -on -one or small group mm -hmm. kind of settings mm -hmm. where it is the kind of street theater oh totally. that's yeah a different ball game oh you yeah. have to use the more improv in improv i'll just yeah oh, the, of course of course yeah <laughs> short version yeah you have to use more improv skills oh and yeah. um and sometimes it it really hurts your feelings because there have been so many times where I'll be starting into a story and it's just a few audience members and maybe with the kids and right away the child is like, nope, turns to the parent, I want to get out of here and they leave. And so you're left with maybe one person. and or So you keep going, you smile and you kind of just play along with it and do the best you can. But boy, it, it builds character. I tell you, it, it can be really rough sometimes. And then you have, sometimes it's going well and more people join. So it just depends. It always depends on your audience. Audience is where it's at. Oh, I agree. And if you get the energy from them, you're going to get it right back to them. But you also have to learn, like you were saying, you learn how to structure your energy. You, you have to learn how to provide it, even if you're not getting it back. And that happens so often. <laughs> you're just like, am I doing this right? Nobody's saying anything. But then by the end, they usually appreciate it even though you feel like you were just being spastic, but it's just to keep that energy up and keep the thing moving forward, so, oh, yeah. yeah. And another point when it comes to the benefits of acting, when it comes to STEM concepts in general, is that STEM itself can, mm -hmm. at times, I would say, be dry, especially depending on how it's communicated, how you're learning about it. You know, there are some very dense scientific <laughs> topics out there. And in general, not everybody's interested. No. But it's always a positive thing when you can pique someone's interest Absolutely. enough to get them to learn a new concept. Mm -hmm. And I think the acting skills that even 
scientists that might not interact directly with the public. Um, but, you know, when they're talking with friends, when mm -hmm. they're, if they do lectures, or when they're communicating with coworkers, like, there's the benefit there. They mm -hmm. can help communicate what they're trying to say, especially in, like, a working environment. Mm -hmm. You know, even the communicative aspects of acting mm -hmm. and that whole connection with Absolutely. like a second party um, in a co-working setting that can have a benefit yeah and how many times have we heard people who aren't actors or might just be working in a particular business that have to get up and give a speech oh, oh my yes. gosh and they're <laughs> freaking out understandably because public speaking is not their thing they're nervous and quite honestly I, I have to say that I feel that public speaking is a lot harder than acting as a character in a performance oh, because yeah. you I have nothing it. to hide behind. It is you and that's all there is to it. It's you're up there, it's your information, you're talking. No you're wonder putting they're your so own nervous. personality on yes. display so no <laughs> instead wonder. of a character's. Yeah, and no wonder they're putting themselves out there as opposed to when you're an actor, you can say, oh, well, it was the playwright apparently didn't do a good job. It had nothing to do <laughs> with my acting skills. But yeah, I mean, I can't. I can certainly understand that, but improv like you were saying and acting training can help so much with that especially when it comes to specific breathing exercises stretching exercises or even mental preparedness for when you go out there and uh and just practice 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 with classes good grief that can totally calm you down and provide you with so much information and ammunition if you will to take it on yeah i will say on that note as well just my experience with acting mm -hmm. and like taking acting classes acting in a few plays here and there even though it's not my biggest focus when i do theater mm -hmm. but like it's helped me so much in just other aspects especially with memorization when yes. i do presentations um if i you know have to explain certain concepts to like a guest that comes into the oh, museum grief, and wants yes. to know all about the fantastic pendulum we have <laughs> being able to just communicate that have the knowledge down pat even if you know i don't necessarily understand the knowledge i know how to communicate it being able to have that memorization skill set has definitely helped me as well and hunter i will add to that because you even mentioned it about how acting can help people in social situations. And that's so true, even if they're your friends or your family, and sometimes you're just not feeling it, but you know you have to go to a cousin's birthday party or somebody's wedding and you've, you're exhausted, you're not, that can help you pull that energy, do the breathing exercises, maybe even put on a little face, um, you know, enough to get the smile going and, and be polite. And then when you get home, you collapse, you know. So it, it does. It helps in so many facets of life. But I wanted to add something when you were um, asking the question about do scientists need to take acting classes. On the other side of that is I want people to understand, too, obviously, we are actors. We are not scientists. We're learning about science, which is great. But... On the other hand of not being able to act, maybe some scientists have that problem. The dilemma for me is obviously not being a scientist. So when I research a topic and write it into a script, the one of the um, safeguards here at the museum, thank goodness, is that any information, be it script, demo, whatever, 
presentation material needs to be vetted through our resident scientists to make sure that we have put correct information down. And even it even goes to a point where I really appreciate this. They might even suggest, you know, what you say in this particular line of the script is true, but you might want to word it this way so that people hearing it would understand it the correct way and not have misinformation given to them. And, and I so appreciate any kind of tip that they give, even if it's correct information, for them to say, you might want to word it this way, just because there's been a debate or there's been an argument and we want to make sure that we're clear of any gray area. So I think great. So yeah, it's it's um it's a great system of checks and balances here, I think, when providing information. So it would also be cool if we can as actors provide our checks and balances to some demonstrators or um, scientists who might need to give presentations that would be open to improv exercises or tips on how to loosen up. You know, and, and just kind of make it a full circle. Let's help check and balance everybody, you know, help each other. Yeah, especially while I would say it, we have an equal investment in both the theatrical and scientific side. Sure. But often for us, the theatrical side is the starting point. Absolutely. Is what comes first is our basis. And the science side isn't necessarily secondary, but it's the second step, typically. That's, that's a good point. And so... It's fun to have entertaining experiences, theater, etc. But if it's not factual, mm -hmm. if it's not based in scientific theory and evidence-based um, topics, mm -hmm. then what's the point? Well, here, absolutely. Yeah. And even, I mean, I still think it's, it's okay to put in a lot of fiction or put in silliness or put in a whole fabricated personal history of a scientist that we don't know already. Oh, yeah. Or we can't find information on the scientist because they were so long ago and there's no historical record. Especially true with a lot of female scientists because they just were disregarded. It's like, no. So as long as we have some factual account about them, about what they provided, about their life, then creating the theatrical part of it so that it engages our audience is fine. Oh, yes. So. Yeah, there's the balance that has to be found. Oh, yeah. And especially when you were saying the checks and balances, mm -hmm. that is one of the blessings of working in a science museum, mm -hmm. in a science institution, is that we do have those resources. Absolutely. Um, to help us kind of refine anything that we want to present to an audience. Mm -hmm. And especially in terms of like educational programming, we do different demonstrations, Absolutely. different life science programming. Obviously, the point of it is to communicate about that scientific topic. Oh, yeah. But the theatrical aspect of it, of providing entertainment, engaging students, is definitely a good balance. I agree. And I, I always like to look at it like this. The science is important. And we provide that science information. We are educating people people about science. The theatrical elements are what enhance that experience, hopefully. It brings enjoyment, it brings humor, it brings maybe some drama, or the point of it is to grab the feelings, to just get them in the feels, if you will, and um, raise the interest. 
and maybe even make them a little more curious about that particular concept or scientists that we're presenting. Oh, yes. Curiosity. Mm -hmm. If you pique someone's curiosity, Absolutely. they're going to go home. They're going to, especially if it's like a kid. Yes. They're going to go home. They're going to ask their parents about, you know, what mm -hmm. this is. Mm -hmm. They're going to ask to buy a book about it. They'll yep. pick one up from the library Absolutely. if they go. And adults, they'll go research. They'll Google exists. Mm -hmm. It's free. Mm -hmm. I love it. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, um, you've got your kids out there that love science already. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The ones that do well in traditional uh, curriculum, if you will, uh, structured education, and they love it and they're interested. And so everything that we give them, uh, demonstrations, presentations, everything, the exhibits, it piques their curiosity and they go with it. And then on the other hand, you have those students, and it's a lot of them, that don't do so well in that structured uh, learning environment. And so then you have to think outside the box and come up with ways to pull them in as well and get them to enjoy science, get them to learn more about it. And that's where the performing arts comes in a lot. Music, dance, theater, uh, art. So many different ways to pull them in and get them interested so that then they will continue to learn more about it as well. That's our goal, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah people what, what, learn in different ways. Exactly. And what, what is it that we always say? Question your world. Um, the more outside the box we are, the more I think we encourage them to think outside the box and to in, and question their own worlds and find out more about it. I really do. Yeah, the, the American Alliance of Museums just put out a report, Trends Watch. Museums as Community Infrastructure Learning Ecosystem. And they were talking about how the infrastructure that supports our communities um, usually encompasses entities of all types, like public schools, businesses, churches, American Legion Post, local governments, et cetera. This edition of their Trends Watch, um, they're making the case that museums are also vitally important entities in that infrastructure as well. So, and they even broke it down to five ways that it is becoming huge. A lot of it with the COVID thing and people going to online learning. Some had it easy, some didn't, um, obviously. And so museums became sort of a safe haven for kids to either come to for quiet place and internet access or creating all the digital con uh, content that we've been creating to send to them if they're not able to get in. So it, it's, it's like, it's a big thing right now. So we're, we're like, we're going straight down that line, yeah. Yeah, I also read a report, I think it was, which it's probably been reported by multiple places, mm -hmm. but I think I was looking into it through the American Alliance of Museums, uh -huh. yep. but about how museums remain trusted institutions, yes. especially in communities. Mm -hmm. And this is museums as a whole, whether there are museums or science centers and museums, um, but museums remain a trusted institution. Absolutely. And a lot of people go there for safe haven, mm -hmm. for enjoyable experiences, for good information. And especially, I like to think, hopefully, at the Science Museum of Virginia, we've been doing a great job of yeah. getting factual, up-to-date information out to the public. Absolutely. As things progress. Um, yeah. Even about COVID, mm -hmm. especially, mm -hmm. through the pandemic, but about just 
new things that pop up, like Absolutely. the James Webb Telescope that yes. launched earlier oh, this yeah, year. Oh, yeah, Justin. That was a big thing. He, he is constantly putting out great information about that, our astronomer. He's, he's constantly doing amazing things. So that's out there. And all the information that we're sending digitally is so important. And more and more schools are requesting it. And theater plays into that as well because sometimes we'll do introductory videos ahead of the workshop that's going to be digitized and and they're silly but they are talking about the topic it gives the students a little bit of a wake-up call and says this is what you're going to learn about and you make it silly and zany and crazy but factual it's the truth um and hopefully grab their attention so then they think it's fun they get a little energized and then they're ready to learn it's almost sort of a, um, a workout for the mind or for the emotions. It just sort of get you pumping, get up there. Oh, that was fun. That was silly. We laughed. Okay, we're ready to go. And um, I think that they're really going after more online content. It can be short. And as a matter of fact, it was the very thing I think you were just saying. There was a study done by um, Cambridge University that they interviewed teachers about what they wanted with online content. And a couple of things they said was one of them was what you mentioned. Museums are trustworthy. And they said they want the content or the um, website to be trusted. And so, yes, museum, absolutely. And then they said either images that are very clear and easy to access and videos that have content on them, easy to access and nice and short. So short videos, it could be anywhere from three to 10 minutes of a silly show. If it's high energy and has um, use of all kinds of multimedia and different things to grab onto the kids, but it teaches them at the same time and they maybe they don't realize that they're getting a lesson. If you make it more exciting for them, hopefully they'll retain it, but say, oh, that was fun, let's get some more. Yeah, short form content is really that's hot. Just exploding. Yeah, well, it's, like TikTok, it's what's hot. Right? TikTok. TikTok is, uh, was that the one that started it or was it Vine? Vine kind of had. Vine had its moment. Moment. But now it's TikTok. It's all yeah, TikTok. Yeah, it's all TikTok. Okay. And then uh, YouTube's always been well, sure. the video platform. And especially on the topic of like teachers wanting short, mm-hmm. like informative videos. Mm-hmm. I can totally see why. Like, if you're trying to teach a class in, like, an hour's period, you don't want a 45, 50-minute video that you're going to have to only watch parts of. Exactly. If you can tack on a 5, 10-minute video at the start of the day Mm -hmm. or in the middle and whenever, Mm -hmm. but it's just another way to engage your students. Exactly. And so, especially, we've, like you've been saying, have started doing a lot of digitized content. We've been doing a lot of digital demonstrations Mm. for school groups and everything. And theater and acting Mm -hmm. and kind of performing for an audience obviously gets involved into that. It does when you're in person, Mm -hmm. especially especially so when you're doing it through a screen. Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) You just... There's a whole nother layer of difficulty of engaging an audience when they're on the other side of the screen mm-hmm. and not right in front of you. Exactly. And like especially for science communicators trying to convey a topic, yeah. acting, being able to express themselves, being able to clearly communicate, enunciate, mm-hmm. project, all of it makes, you know, providing an entertaining experience through a screen more worthwhile. I agree. I agree. And you're competing against already. 
television, films, you know, that have the budgets that are astronomical and can do all sorts of high-tech uh, special effects and all that. So, like you said, it's difficult to find that method and that technique that um, is giving them information that will benefit them in the long run, but doing it in a manner that keeps them engaged. It's such a tricky thing, but I think the museum does a pretty darn good job of it. I really do. And that we're, we're getting better as we continue down this path, you know. Um, and it was already pre-COVID, the whole thinking of this structured education, what was it? No Child Left Behind was not cutting it. And re reports had come out and they said it's just not, it's not working. Um, so they have gone to a different form um, and it, it deals with every child um, and, and the different ways that they learn. And so that's why they are trying to welcome and include alternative forms of education um, so that every child will learn in their way. And hopefully, my hope is that they do start cutting down on the test after test. And I know the teachers want that to go away because they don't have the time to be able to simply teach. And it's really sad. But if we have both of these things going forward, if we have the um, government, if you will, working with us on the education and the type of education and how it is, it is integrated into this whole community, including museums, and taking away constant testing. And then you have museums that are contributing our content through TikTok or any other fascinating ways. And then hopefully when they can come to the museum, we can knock their socks off with live presentations and live demonstrations and performances. So it, I think we're heading in the right direction all the way around. And I think we're gonna see some major improvements. And I've read that that's what a lot of uh, specialists are saying, that they think this type of education, including everyone, um, alternative forms of it is going to be the way to go. Yeah, there's been kind of the assumption that there's always been a divide between the sciences and the arts. Right. And they're very different themselves. Mm -hmm. They have key differences, but they also intermingle a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And especially recently, which is good mm -hmm. in general mm -hmm. and good for us yes, as indeed. science theater, science communicators. Yep. But a lot of science education has started to incorporate the arts to help convey the message thank goodness um you know teach people in ways that they engage with mm -hmm. and can connect with mm -hmm. and so i think that divide has gotten a lot smaller i agree they're starting to realize how important it is to use performing arts to teach stem um, so, you know, again, like we were talking about earlier, learning about acting, learning about science versus learning how to, same with this. You, you can certainly learn about the arts, which is different than utilizing the performing arts or any kind of arts for that matter and, and humanities to teach the sciences. And it does, it just, it brings it all together. The very woman who created STEAM, Georgette Yakman, which is, I find fascinating that she is an engineering and technology teacher, and she's the one who came up with it. I didn't realize that. But the, the best thing, um, the best quote on it, I think, is what she says. STEAM is about more than converging the fine arts and design thinking into STEM fields. The liberal arts are the who and why, the reasoning to the what and how of STEM. 
and that's such a great way to put it. You know, it's and it's absolutely true, and it's a, such um, a very needed holistic approach to education that many people are saying it, it's crucial to have that holistic approach. If you're not teaching, especially young kids, very young kids, preschool age, if you're not teaching them how to reason or how to gauge situations or emotions um, themselves, as opposed to just presenting them with facts after facts, memorize this, do this, do that. But when you bring in the arts and humanities, they themselves learn to reason and become critical thinkers and learn how to gauge a situation and realize, oh, this is what I need to do to fix this. And, and I think it, um, it's obvious that you just become a, a more well-rounded human being if you do that. It's so important, especially early childhood. Start them young, big time, so they learn. And, and you know, I, I remember being blown away when I found out years ago that they say the brain grows the most or learns the most, absorbs the most from age zero to five. Wow. I did not know that when I had my kids, and I wish I did, um, which makes sense. But you know, it just even True. pushes more how crucial it is for early childhood education and give them everything, all of it. And hopefully they will then blossom into the um, scientists and the technologists and the engineers and the mathematicians that we so desperately need. I'll always remember I had a conversation with someone one day and we ended up getting onto the topic of my interest on science communication and theater. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they started talking about how, you know, they never got into the sciences and because they've always found it dry, not engaging. And they wished that they had when they were a kid an experience of a performance or a th kind of more theatrical version mm -hmm. of scientific yeah. lectures. Absolutely. But another way that would have engaged them more because they, they thought that if they would have had that, they mm -hmm. would have been more interested. It would appeal to them. Yeah, and that brings me to my question to you about something you wrote down, um, a show called Catching Feelings for Triceratops, How Live Theater in Museums Evokes Empathy in Visitors. And that's exactly what your friends were talking about. And, and so, I mean, it sounds like a fascinating idea, you know, and you're even dealing with a dinosaur. You're not even dealing with a human, but empathy is huge. Unbelievably so, because I see that, especially when you come to uh, science and medicine, if you don't have the empathy for fellow humans or for even animals, why would you even want to go into medicine? You know, do you just want the glory? Is it just a shallow reason? Is it just the money? It seems like the empathy would be the driving force, that you want to make people feel better, you want to heal the world or do what you can. So again, bring in the arts and humanities into it see what people, creatures, whatever, go through, see their feelings, their personal problems or, or uh, struggles, and maybe that brings your curiosity up and you, your drive to help. So, but that, I just thought that was the coolest title. I love that. It was. Yeah. I was reading that article, and it's this museum in Los Angeles County. Okay. They do dinosaur encounters, and... It was so fascinating because as I was reading the article, you know, I found a lot of reflection in what we do here mm -hmm. 
in especially in terms of like incorporating the latest scientific fact into you know your theatrical experience right because you know they would have their dinosaur triceratops that they have walking around to kind of engage their kind of young audiences and they've started incorporating like proto feathers into wow. different dinosaurs which mm-hmm. can spark a conversation with people who you know can learn something new right. if, especially if they've never considered you know dinosaurs with feathers exactly it's the newest scientific advancement in terms of paleontology but a lot of people you know just have Jurassic Park stuck in there exactly head, which wasn't necessarily the worst thing but, but it wasn't we're finding out that it wasn't specifically correct and they keep finding different things about dinosaurs that they're going whoops nope we had that wrong yeah, yeah. and especially in terms of empathy Theater itself has always been a way to kind of increase empathy. It's always been a way to activate it. And it's a great way to do that with the sciences. And empathizing with something always makes you more invested in it. Oh, oh, that's perfect. The the investment of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And especially when you were talking about medicine. Mm -hmm. That is a big thing. Mm -hmm. Because, again, you'd think that people would go into medicine because they have empathy for their fellow human. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's not always the case, very apparently. But I think that is kind of a point in a larger problem. I think we have a very big empathy problem in the world right now. And theater is a great way to kind of lessen that problem. It's a great avenue to communicate scientific topics. You can educate, you can build empathy, especially when we're talking about early childhood oh experiences. Yes. yes. Being able to build empathy from a young age mm-hmm. is just critical. Absolutely critical. Adults can always still learn, but sometimes they're gone. It, you know, you yeah. can't teach empathy to uh-huh. an adult. No. They either have it or... Or they don't. And we have seen these past several years with everything that the world has gone through. We have seen how there is apathy in abundance. And it's it's disheartening. It really is. Um, And maybe teaching theater from a young age uh, or using performing arts to teach everything from a young age might not be the absolute answer, but it certainly can't hurt uh, anything to get people to be more sensitive to others and empathize is very important and theater is certainly a way to do that yeah absolutely absolutely as we were talking earlier teaching scientists who are not very good with being open socially and and that sort of thing of how to communicate scientific concepts in an engaging manner and you and I were both talking about this how cool this is that in our research, we, we came across Alan Alda, of all people, from the long-running MASH series, the actor who also did that um, Scientific American Frontier show on PBS for 11 years. And this article, which came from the American Association for the Advancement of Science, and it was written by Catherine Lee, and he said that when the show ended, he remembered by reflecting on it how nice it was to have these brilliant scientists sit with him and his way of engaging with them and he said he had years of acting and improv and he thought it just made them feel comfortable and relaxed because he would just engage them in such a manner 
that they felt comfortable and it was warm and he knew how to do it. And then he had the idea, it's like, oh my gosh, why don't we start something that could train scientists how to communicate in that warm, friendly manner, engaging manner, scientific concepts. Anyone who has a hard time with it, they can maybe get the training. So it, the article said that he went out and asked all sorts of universities and all sorts of places several years ago and didn't get a bite. Nobody was interested until, as we were just saying, the last few years, there's been that dramatic pull away from science, or it was for a while, and it was shocking. And now he's saying that the interest is huge, and now they're reaching out. They're saying, we need to figure out how to commu communicate science to people more effectively. What can we do? Show us. Show us how we can warm up to people, how we can engage them. And so it's so funny that this is happening at this location that um, where you and I are thinking about signing up for a class. Oh, yes. <laughs> it just seems so cool, and it's right down the line of what we're talking about. How, I mean, here, here it is. There's a prime example of how important it is because people were beginning to distrust science in a time when it was so crucial to trust it. Um, and I think it's gotten better, but it, this proves right there how desperately we need to reach people, gain their trust, engage them, even if it's entertaining them, but with the facts so that they learn so that they feel comfortable with science and science concepts and scientists and doctors. I mean, any of us, you know, so it's, it is, it's crucial. Communication is key from the guest services right at the beginning, all the way to their whole experience with educators, actors, um, anybody that they encounter. We want it to be, yes, we're trusted. You're comfortable with us. Come on back and let's teach you some more. That's a great way to put it. Oh, yeah. well, thank you. And thank you for asking me to do this. Yeah, I'm glad it's you... It's my pleasure. Absolutely. I'm pleasure. so happy I have someone here that I work with that yes. is interested in the same kind same of stuff. Same here. Same here. Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah.